Hi, and welcome to Millionaire Mondays. Have you ever wondered why some people and some companies can operate at 10 times the capacity and productivity to their industry average? Well, some of those answers are revealed in a book called Great by Choice, written by Jim Collins. Those people and companies seem to get those results regardless of the circumstances that surround them. It's almost as if it were intentional. Well, in this two-part series, I'm going to unpack some of those elements that hopefully will add to your business. Well, today I'm going to be covering this book, Great by Choice. Specifically, I'm going to be looking at why it is that some individuals and organizations operate at 10 times the capacity and output to their industry average. And why it is that those companies and organizations survive any type of condition thrown at them. We're going to be looking at elements like fanatic discipline, empirical creativity, productive paranoia, and level five ambition. But in order to do that, you're going to need to know and understand the story of Roald Amundsen and Robert Scott. So today I'm going to be reading a passage from the book Great by Choice written by Jim Collins that'll set the scene so that we can dive in to those four elements, fanatic discipline, empirical creativity, productive paranoia, and a level five ambition, so that we too can all understand what makes 10x individuals. Hope you enjoy. So this is the story of Robert Scott and Roald Amundsen's expedition to the South Pole. In October 1911, two teams of adventurers made their final preparations in their quest to be the first people in modern history to reach the South Pole. For one team, it would be a race to victory and a safe return home. For members of the second team, it would be a devastating defeat, reaching the pole only to find the wind-whipped flags of their rivals planted 34 days earlier, followed by a race for their lives, a race that they lost in the end, as the advancing winter swallowed them up. All five members of the second pole team perished, staggering from exhaustion, suffering the dead black pain of frostbite and then freezing to death as some wrote their final journal entries and notes to loved ones back home. It's a near perfect matched pair. Here we have two expedition leaders, Roald Amundsen, the winner, and Robert Falcon Scott, the loser, of similar ages, 39 and 43 respectively, and with comparable experience. Amundsen led the first successful journey through the Northwest Passage and joined the first expedition to spend the winter in Antarctica. Scott led a South Pole expedition in 1902, reaching 82 degrees south. Amundsen and Scott started their respective journeys for the Pole within days of each other, both facing a round trip of more than 1,400 miles, which is roughly equal to the distance from New York City to Chicago and back, into an uncertain and unforgiving environment where temperatures could easily reach 20 degrees below zero Fahrenheit, even during the summer, made worse by gale force winds. And keep in mind, this was 1911. They had no means of modern communication to call back to base camp, no radio, no cell phones, no satellite links, and a rescue would have been highly improbable at the South Pole if they screwed up. 
One leader led his team to victory and safety. The other led his team to defeat and death. What separated these two men? Why did one achieve spectacular success in such an extreme set of conditions, while the other failed even to survive? It's a fascinating question and a vivid analogy of our overall topic. Here we have two leaders, both on quests of extreme achievement in an extreme environment, and it turns out that the 10x business leaders in our research behaved very much like Amundsen and the comparison leaders behaved more like Scott. So are you an Amundsen or a Scott? While in his late 20s, Roald Amundsen traveled from Norway to Spain for a two-month-long sailing trip to earn a master's certificate. It was 1899. He had a nearly 2,000-mile journey ahead of him. And how did Amundsen make the journey? By carriage? By horse? By ship? By rail? He cycled. Amundsen then experimented with eating raw dolphin meat to determine its usefulness as an energy supply. After all, he reasoned someday he might be shipwrecked, finding himself surrounded by dolphins, so he might as well know if he could eat one. It was all part of Amundsen's years of building a foundation for his quest, training his body and learning as much as possible from practical experience about what actually worked. Amundsen even made a pilgrimage to apprentice with Eskimos. What better way to learn what worked in polar conditions than to spend time with a people who have hundreds of years of accumulated experience in ice and cold and snow and wind. He learned how Eskimos use dogs to pull sleds. He observed how Eskimos never hurried, moving slowly and steadily, avoiding excessive sweat that could turn to ice in sub-zero temperatures. He adopted Eskimo clothing, loose fitting to help sweat evaporate, and also that was protective. He systematically practiced Eskimo methods and trained himself for every conceivable situation he might encounter en route to the pole. Almond's philosophy, beg your pardon, Amundsen's philosophy, you don't wait until you're in an unexpected storm to discover that you need more strength and endurance. You don't wait until you're shipwrecked to determine if you can eat raw dolphin. You don't wait until you're on the Antarctic journey to become a superb skier and dog handler. You prepare with intensity all the time so that when conditions turn against you, you can draw from a deep reservoir of strength. And equally, you prepare so that when conditions turn in your favor, you can strike hard. Robert Falcon Scott presents quite a contrast to Amundsen. In the years leading up to the race for the South Pole, he could have trained like a maniac on cross-country skis and taken a thousand-mile bike ride. He did not. He could have gone to live with Eskimos. He did not. He could have practiced more with dogs, making himself comfortable with choosing dogs over ponies. Ponies, unlike dogs, sweat on their hides, so they become encased in ice sheets when tethered, post-hole and struggle in snow and don't generally eat meat. Amundsen planned to kill some of the weaker dogs along the way to fuel the stronger dogs. Terrible, I know, but it was survival of the fittest. Scott chose ponies. Scott also bet on motor sledges that hadn't been fully tested in the most extreme South Pole conditions. As it turned out, the motor sledge engines cracked within the first few days. 
the ponies failed early and his team slogged through most of the journey by man-hauling, harnessing themselves to sleds, trudging across the snow and pulling the sleds behind them. Unlike Scott, Amundsen systematically built enormous buffers for unseen events. When setting supply depots, Amundsen not only flagged the primary depot, he placed 20 black pennants in precise increments for miles on either side, giving himself a target more than 10 kilometers wide in case he got slightly off course coming back in a storm. To accelerate segments of his return journey, he marked his path every quarter of a mile with packing case remnants and every eight miles with black flags hoisted upon bamboo poles. Scott, in contrast, put a single flag on his primary depot and left no markings on his path, leaving him exposed to catastrophe if he went even slightly off course. Amundsen stored three tons of supplies for five men starting out versus Scott's one ton for 17 men. In his final push for the South Pole from 82 degrees, Amundsen carried enough extra supplies to miss every single depot and still have enough left over to go another 100 miles. Scott ran everything dangerously close to his calculations so that missing even one supply depot would bring disaster. A single detail aptly highlights the difference in their approaches. Scott brought one thermometer for a key altitude measurement device and he exploded in an outburst of wrath and consequence when it broke. Amundsen brought four such th thermometers to cover for accidents. Amundsen didn't know precisely what lay ahead. He didn't know the exact terrain, the altitude of the mountain passes or all the barriers he might encounter. He and his team might get pounded by a series of unfortunate events. Yet he designed the entire journey to systematically reduce the role of big forces and chance events by vigorously embracing the possibility of those very same big forces and chance events. He presumed bad events might strike his team somewhere along the journey and he prepared for them, even developing contingency plans so that the team could go on should something unfortunate happen to him along the way. Scott left himself unprepared and complained in his journal about his bad luck. Our luck in weather is preposterous, penned Scott in his journal and wrote in another entry, it is more than our share of ill fortune. How great may be the element of luck. On December 15th, 1911, in bright sunshine, sparkling across the vast white plain with a slight crosswind and a temperature of 10 degrees below zero, Amundsen reached the South Pole. He and his teammates planted the Norwegian flag, which unfurled itself with a sharp crack and dedicated the plateau to the Norwegian king. Then they went right back to work. They erected a tent and attached a letter to the Norwegian king describing their success. Amundsen addressed the envelope to Captain Scott, presuming Scott would be the next to reach the pole. He did that as an insurance policy in case his team met an unfortunate end on the journey home. He could not have known that Scott and his team were man-hauling their sleds fully 360 miles behind. More than a month later, at 6.30pm on January 17, 1912, 
Scott found himself staring at Amundsen's Norwegian flag at the South Pole. We have had a horrible day, Scott wrote in his diary. Add to our disappointment a headwind 4 to 5 with a temperature of minus 22. Great God. This is an awful place and terrible enough for us to have labored to it without the reward of priority. On that very day, Amundsen had already traveled nearly 500 miles back north, reaching his 82 degree supply depot with only 8 easy days to go. Scott turned around and headed back north more than 700 miles of man-hauling from home base just as the season began to turn. The weather became more severe with increasing winds and decreasing temperatures, while supplies dwindled and the men struggled through the snow. Amundsen and his team reached home base in good shape on January 25th, the precise day he'd penned into his plan. Running out of supplies, Scott stalled in mid-March, exhausted and depressed. Eight months later, a British reconnaissance party found the frozen bodies of Scott and two companies in a forlorn, snow-drifted little tent, just 10 miles short of his supply depot. You see, there were different behaviors, but there weren't different circumstances. Amundsen and Scott achieved dramatically different outcomes, not because they faced dramatically different circumstances. In the first 34 days of their respective expeditions, Amundsen and Scott had exactly the same ratio, 56% of good days to bad days of weather. If they faced the same environment in the same year with the same goal, the causes of their respective success and failure simply cannot be the environment. They had divergent outcomes principally because they displayed very different behaviors. In a study done on business leaders, they determined that 10Xs, that remember people that produce at 10 times the results of the average of the industry they're in, are not necessarily more creative, are not necessarily more visionary, are not more charismatic, are not more ambitious, they're not blessed by luck, they're not more risk-seeking, they're not more heroic, they're not more prone to making big, bold moves. We're not saying that 10Xs lacked creative intensity or ferocious ambition or the courage to bet big. They displayed all those traits, but so did their less successful comparisons. So why do 10Xs distinguish themselves from everybody else? Well, that's where it comes to those three elements. Fanatic discipline, empirical creativity, and productive paranoia, leading to level five ambition. I would recommend that you get this book, Great by Choice. Read it a few times. Make notes, underline, and implement those strategies to build a successful business that not only will, uh, will sustain and withstand any condition thrown at you, but it will see you outperform your industry by 10 times the average. Catch you all soon.